be standing for the reading of God's Word, which is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might. And his arm rules for him. And his recompense before him. Or he, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. The word of the Lord. Someone asked me recently, you may be seated, how I was feeling during Advent at this time, and I must be honest, I'm definitely not feeling elated and high highs. I think I'm starting to catch the spirit of what it is to wait for the Lord. What does it mean to yearn and to be desperate and to need something more than I need air? One of the things that we're doing is we are actually uh, not taking the Lord's Supper at this time in order that we may feel the pains of hunger, hunger for the Lord, that it may stoke our hunger, that it may grow strong. And that's what this waiting is for, so that we would walk with the saints of old who have waited for the coming of the Lord and who were desperate for Him. There was someone in a movie depicted by Tom Hanks, of course, in 2000 that was desperate for rescue. And that was Chuck Nolan. He was this time-obsessed FedEx logistics analyst. And he is always obsessed with time so much he interrupts his love life. He's good at solving problems, so he's sent on a last-minute flight from his home in Memphis to Malaysia carrying FedEx packages, of course. The flight flies into a violent storm and crashes into the Pacific. 
Duck, played by Tom Hanks, washes up on shore, and the rest of the movie unfolds from there with him trying to be rescued, trying to find hope in the despair, trying to get out of an oppressing, difficult place where he's alone, isolated, believing that people have forgotten him and given up on him. The most interesting thing about the movie, though, in my mind, is this. It's what was missing. You've seen the movie Castaway. Do you know what was missing? There is no movie score for the movie Castaway. There is no music. There is just a staring silence until he's on his flight back. And many of us, and when the story comes into the life of Judah, it was while they were in exile and despair, when they were feeling the gloom of night, when they felt the sting of cold isolation, they knew it deeply. And this song would be a lullaby to them that is written in a poetic form. There is couplets in it. Uh, beautiful, imagistic language, and it serves as an overture to prepare the people for the themes of music that will be coming forward from chapters 40 through 55. But the despair for Judah had started, and they had been uh, exiled, beginning with the first deportation starting in 597 after an initial siege, a second deportation, and the final deportation in 587 when Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple place was destroyed. The meeting place of God and man, the key identity marker of who they were, the center of cultural life was gone. It was as if everything that made these people a people, their identity, had been taken away from them. And then they were carted off into a new culture, a new place, into a land that is that in Babylon. They are the archetype of evil in the Old Testament. And they are carted off in the world. And they feel like God has forgotten them. It is as if the music had stopped, that there was no comfort of music. There was no comfort for them. Psalm 137, chapter 2, well, it says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. They remembered their identity. They remembered God dwelling with them. They remembered their mission. They remembered who they were. And it was all taken away from them. And they're feeling despair and darkness and gloom. And it says, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. They gave up on music. They sat and wallowed in the silence of despair. For there our captors required songs and our tormentors mirth. They sing us one of the songs of Zion. How should we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can they possibly do it? There is no comfort. There is no song, only silent despair and judgment. God's people had lost the music they could not sing. 
They lost the comfort and consolation of music. They had no hope left in the world, only the judgment of silence, and they waited for some kind of comfort for their despair and gloom. And here comes Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, to comfort them spoken softly as a sweet lullaby. You see, they will see partial fulfillment. In accordance to John the Baptist, as recorded in John 1.23, he says that the fullness has happened when Jesus came. He says that he is the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, John says that he's the ultimate Isaiah. That this, it's the song you've been waiting for. That Jesus Christ is the song of comfort that our hearts need. That is what it means. So in a certain way, Isaiah 40 to the people in, at that time, wallowing in Babylon, was actually just a tribute to the greatest song ever played, which is Jesus Christ. And if you know Tenacious D, you know, it isn't the greatest song ever played, it's just a tribute. Yes, I'm a Lost. Someone knows to make the truth. Thank you. And so, what happens is John realizes that he is the true hype man. In a certain way, he's the true Isaiah, a hype man. Someone's like, Vince, what is a hype man? Okay, a hype man is, if you remember from Public Enemy, Flavor Flay. Yes, so he kind of had a funny grill and he had a clock. He was huge. Okay, and it was with a chain. And he'd smile, and there was then Chuck D on Public Enemy, and he'd be all like, Come on, man! And so, what a tight man does is he interjects, he points the spotlight on what the true MC is saying. Okay, and so what John the Baptist is saying that the true hype, that, that he is the true hype man and the truest MC, the one who will sing comfort, the one who is the comforter for you, he is here. Listen to what he is saying. And Isaiah is saying, comfort is here. And he says it to the people. And today we need to realize that the music has gone soft. gone silent. Maybe our lives, we haven't noticed it yet, but there's a lot of silence and we sit in silence and we feel the gloom of darkness and we're looking for the hope of daylight. We're waiting for the music to return, but we only feel despair. And COVID has only heightened the despair that we already feel. It is measured at times that deaths of despair, deaths that are related to drugs, alcohol, and suicide account for about 150,000 deaths a year. It is expected to double this year. The music for many has stopped, and there is no comfort. So what, what, are, we, what are we supposed to do? What we need to do is see what Isaiah 40 is doing for us. Isaiah 40 is like a comforting lullaby to a hurt, crying people. It is to comfort them with his word. Isaiah 40, 1 through 11 is the overture. And it is to tune our hearts and prepare our hearts for the themes of what is coming, for the truth that is going to happen. And it is stamped, not by our efforts, but by what he has done. It is marked by the true character of the Lord. 
and it is promised by Him. His Word is His very presence with His people. It is as I said, I give you my word that will happen. It is a promise. And who do you get mad at when it doesn't happen? It's me. So I put myself on the line. For God to give his word to his people, he promised it. He says, I'm putting myself on the line for you. I give you my comfort. I give you myself when I give you my word. And so we learn from this text. That God's word is the comfort in the pain, comfort for the despairing, the only true truth that truly comforts, and the comfort for the missing. So we need to root out and tune our hearts. We need to see these places that are out of tune, the areas of despair. And with the way, how do we look at look look for these? And so what we need to do is we need to look at the areas that are maybe triggering us in the sleepless nights, fits of anxiety, fits of rage. And the overture prepares the listener to tune their hearts and get them prepared. So comfort for the despair. In the darkness and gloom of despair, we always need to counter, have counter evidence. So this is what's going to happen. You and I are going to be met with something sad, and awful in our lifetime. If not now during COVID, sometime other. And what we will find ourselves doing is medicating ourselves, usually in addiction. And so we need to consider the counter evidence. What will happen is this. You will sit at home at night. You will look into your pillow and you'll say to yourself, I am worth it. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe this happened. No one will ever hear me. No one ever cares for me. Nobody ever knows my struggle. And what we would do is then start shaming ourselves into this downward spiral and pit of despair. And what we need at that moment is what Isaiah gives us. And it is the true truth. It's the comforting truth. And so, it says this, Comfort my people. Speak tenderly. Cry to her. And it is not a yelling cry. It says to speak tenderly. And then the next thing it says is to cry. It is more like a whimper. It is more like a song to a child who is crying. Why? Because we know a person who is hurting and in despair. What they do not need is advice. They do not need a ten-step system for how they may climb the ladder to make themselves better. What they need, though, is for someone to enter into the pain, to stand with them, to look them eye to eye, and then speak tender words of truth to them. To say, I notice you. I care for you. And so God's word comes to them when they believe that they're at their end, that God doesn't care anymore, that he's given up on them. But that isn't the way God's steadfast love works. He has stamped a promise and saying, I'm coming to get you. I will make sure that all the nations are blessed through you. That he will redeem this earth. And it will happen through these people, through y'all. So he stamps it with his person, and he shows up and he speaks tenderly, and he says to them, "Tell them that their iniquity, that their warfare is ended, 
warfare is ended, that there's an end to their hardship. Now, this is actually more language of oppression from an alien or outside force. It is kind of the same root to where we have kind of like the oppressive slavery. That the hardship is ended, that he's going to end this. And he says to them in this darkness and in this despair that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is forgiven. God's people have forgiveness with him. And then he says that she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. That there is true forgiveness. And then it says in verses 3 through 5 that in the wilderness you need to prepare the way of the Lord. And so God is starting to prepare them for his presence, that he's going to come and dwell with them again, that he's not given up on them, that he will reside with them, and the mission that he has set them on will come to pass because he has promised it. Here's the problem, though. We need forgiveness. We need the comfort of forgiveness. Why? Because imagine whenever you are present with someone you have offended or rebelled against. Remember if you had like a bad argument with mom and suddenly mom walks in the room like, oh my You know, when there is no forgiveness in their presence, what you have is awkward Thanksgiving meals. That's what you have. Okay? So like, I have not talked to cousin so and so and she started dating my and so, you have that awkwardness. That's what happens when there's no forgiveness. But here, it says that God, whom we rebelled against, He is the one who has paid it. He has received from the Lord's hand. So, He paid their debts. And He also paid for them so that they feel that they have received double for all that they have owed. That they are restored back into His presence. And that they have this presence. Now, verses 3 through 5, it says something interesting. It is the voice of the presence of a king. It says in the wilderness, so there is someone declaring it, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, uh, make straight in the desert highway for our Lord. So this is what it says. In the desolate areas, you are to create a highway building project so that the Lord, who will come and get you, will lead you back this promised land is what he's saying to the people of Judah. What is so this imagistic language here is there, when a king would come to get his people or come into a new land and they heard that this king is coming, you know what they would do? They would level the road. Because most roads weren't prepared for a king, okay? So no king should have to walk both uphill both ways and during snow or whatever, you know, like the parents used to say. But anyway, and so they would level the road for the coming of a king. And so the king had come and he was going to bring them back to Zion. And then the center of the text, it says this, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What this means is, is that God is coming to dwell with his people, to come get them. And when do we know that a king was born to dwell with his people? Only whenever we see that there was one who's named Emmanuel, God with us. 
and He has come to bring us home by dwelling with us. And so we consider this counter evidence that He has not given up on us, that in the despair that there is something else, that we are forgiven, that we, He loves us, and He has paid for this. It is like a love letter being written to us to empower us to wait. It is to stoke our hunger and love for the Lord against other things. You and I, whenever we're feeling anxious, whenever we're feeling stressed out, what do we do? We have a dictionary. We need to realize that. Food, sex, media, Netflix, alcohol, moralism, which is just addiction to approval, addiction to achievement, addiction to getting all A's, all of those things come from this area where we feel wounded, insecure, where we may be despairing. And what it does is it takes us down this downward spiral. If I feel anxious, what do I want to do? I suddenly get hungry. You know that? I suddenly get hungry. And what do I do? I go looking for flaming hot Cheetos. You all know that. And so some of you, though, got to feed my addiction. Someone bought me, like, a family-sized bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos lasting a day and a half. Just heads up. And family-sized. That is not good. I had heartburn for a week. Anyway, but what we do is we start the downward spiral. And once you have it, then there's this waning effect. You always need more of it. You need a greater and greater hit to stay high. It gets the same feeling. And the only way, though, that you get rid of that addiction is by having your hunger met and fed and satisfied by a greater love. By a greater love. And so this Advent, what we're trying to do is try to have you identify your hunger to know that what you most desperately need is Jesus. What you most desperately need to feed and feast on is to be addicted to the love that loves you back. No video screen is ever going to love us back. And so this Advent, as you wait, as you despair, as you cry out, know that you have a hunger and it is only satisfied a God coming to dwell and be present with you. Grace comforts with the declaration of true freedom, whereas moralism threatens with advice and makes you an addict. God speaks with affection and is present with you. Only true truth, though, can comfort. Only true truth can comfort. And so he's talking about the truth of Santa's feeling. Notice in verses 6 through 8, he says this in the summation verse, in verse 8. He says, The grass with it, the flower fits, but the word of our God will stand forever. Meaning this, do not put your hope in created things. Do not put your hope in any male or female. Do not put your hope on the last match you have gotten on Bumble. That is not going to save you. 
It is not going to satisfy the deepest hunger. It is not going to be the song of comfort that will make you dance the way you were supposed to dance. Only true truth can make you give you true comfort. And so at this time, we need to realize that not a politician nor a vaccine is going to give that to us. That in the end of the day, after we get a vaccine, after we get herd immunity around June or something like that, and everyone magically lines up and takes two doses of a vaccine, that somehow everything is going to be back to normal and it'll be paradise again. No! Why? Because we will still have the same addictions. We will still have the same problems. We will still have the same unmet hungers. We will still be dancing to a song that we were never meant to dance to. We will still sit in the silence of despair. And no platitude could possibly do that. You know what's really fun? I uh, get this tea that has like these little cute platitudes on tea bags. And this is what I like to do. I like to read the platitude while I drink my tea and realize, man, if I actually told this to a person that is really sad and hurting, they probably punch me. And that's what I do. And so no platitude can do that. A platitude is a little saying or something that makes someone cheer up, but if it's not rooted in true truth, then it can't possibly happen. It isn't going to help you. And so what you need is you actually need true news. And so what this is saying is you have got to wait for something substantial and true. Let me put it this way. Every one of us, has got to reckon with the historical truth of Jesus Christ and his claim by eyewitnesses they write these down on the way to truth and life. Who in the world insists that he is God and accepts worship unless he actually is God? And you are to worship him. Otherwise, he's a lunatic. Don't listen to him. The last person I saw insisting he was God had trouble getting into those crazy bathrooms over there in old Colorado City. Like, I don't think he's God because I don't think he would need a reference. Anyway, but, and so, this guy, here he is. He says, wait for something substantial, something true, because only this can comfort you. We have to wrestle with this historical account. See, God doesn't ignore pain and despair, nor does He stay way above it. Rather, He enters into it. He endures the pain that you and I feel. He felt poverty. He felt the loss of a father. Joseph is nowhere to be seen after his birth account. Probably died along somewhere along the way. His friend is beheaded. He knows despair. He knows pain because he takes it on himself for you and for me. He doesn't stay away from it. He was flesh and blood. You could touch him. It is substantial hope. He's God made huggable. He's God come to you. He's God ripping heaven and earth open to comfort you. He's the true song for our despair. He's the melody our hearts were made to sing to. I know a lot of us, we're running into doubt. 
And we're suffering in the despair. But you have to deal with the historical claims of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and what he actually said. Every one of us should wrestle with that and reckon with it. Those aren't platitudes printed on a tea, on the tag of a tea bag, but history recorded by our witnesses, and it is scarred into his hands. He came into history. And it's not the Christian story is not that we escape from history and find him, but rather he comes into history and he finds us. One of the things we need to know and acknowledge is that we can't save ourselves. You know what platitudes do? They give you nice little things, nice little advice for you to tell yourself that you can save yourself. Rather, what you need is true truth. You need Jesus, the only one who comes and saves you. See, Christianity is not a story about how if you can follow these eight things, then everything will be wonderful for you. That you might get to heaven. No, the story of Christianity is that in the person of Jesus Christ, heaven and earth are united in the person of Jesus. And so what you need to know is that you are not the Savior. You need to be desperate for one now. You see, what happens is if you become the savior for your children, believing that if they somehow like get to college and your duty is to make them good, successful, wonderful people, what you're doing is you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself for them to be successful. And you know what you do in turn? You in turn put a lot of pressure on them to perform. And suddenly you have this weird back and forth where they are your savior, where their success is your salvation, and you yourself are also your salvation. You're the savior. And so you have all this pressure on yourself to perform. Think about it this way. You put all the pressure on your next romantic interest, your next romantic love. You know what you're going to do if you're the person to save them? You will nitpick everything they do and try to control everything. And what happens in the end? You ain't going to want that. Something like this is the worst match ever. It isn't the way it works. You see, you can't put this much pressure on yourself. You are not the Savior. You are just a created being. Grass withers. Flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. That only leads to despair, platitudes. You have to be desperate, though. You have to be desperate for the word. And so comfort, no, comfort is also for the mission. Notice in verses, uh, uh, verses 9 and 10, or 9 especially, it says this, Go to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Fear not. So there's a restoration. So God's people are restored to stand up on the mountains to declare the glory of the Lord. It says this in verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. How is it going to be revealed? By His coming and dwelling with His people to restore their fortunes in Him as their true King. When did this happen? When Jesus came and was born. He dwelt with his people. The book of John says, and he tabernacled among them. So 
the Word became flesh, the Song of God became human and dwelt among us. And so grace here, grace restores and grace empowers. God's comfort and rescue and restoring His people is not only for them, but it's for the hope of the world. God's people are called and they're enlisted into His mission to redeem the world. God has a mission to redeem the world and He has called the people to Himself to be His ambassadors, to be His reconcilers, to be His missionaries. So it is not so much that God has a mission for His church, as one theologian has said it, but that God has a church for His mission. God has a church for His mission. And so God is the one who redeems, and He brings that focal point back though. And for that, for us to know that on this mission, what do we do? We point back to the Redeemer. Behold, which means check it out, y'all. The Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for Him. That means you can't rescue yourself. He's the only one who does it. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Meaning He is gentle and caring to His people and He will strengthen them for that mission. But don't you mess with Him. And that's the comfort that is come to them. And why does it strengthen them? And why in the world does it strengthen them? I uh, once was a middle, middle school teacher. Um, I received some counseling for that. Uh, I am convinced that middle school teachers are the toughest people in the world. Okay? Middle school teachers are awesome. I did it for one year, and I despaired of life. Okay? Uh, and, and it was not good. And so... I, but I have noticed something about middle schoolers over the number of years that I have worked with middle schoolers through like things like youth groups and different things like that. You can always tell those who have had the comfort of being loved and cared for. Why? Because they walk around with a strange confidence. They're confident. They feel like they could fail. Like, eh, not a big deal. What do you mean, not a big deal? There's other kids who are like desperately scared. And fragile. And so it comes out maybe as bullying. It comes out in, in uh, ways that they have to get all A's, that they have to do. It's insecure. How do I know that? Why? Because I made a middle schooler prior to in my life. How do they get that kind of confidence and the comfort so that they can face things like middle school? No, we're in middle school. And how do I know the confidence? If I watch them walk around, I know that they know that they are loved. That they realize that nothing can separate them. That's the greatest comfort in their lives. That mom and dad, they've got me. So that big brother, as soon as he hears that someone is picking on me, that they are going to get jacked. Okay? And so, what does this song say? Hey, I know you despair, but I've got your back. God is saying that He will tenderly care for them. He's big brother walking in the hall. He's the true and better mom and dad that love you. 
and is proud of you and smiles upon you. And so whenever you despair, you've got to start telling yourself the counter evidence. You need to refer, you need to sing the song. You need to hear this overture telling you who you are and telling you how God loves you. And we see and we know this on the cross. Jesus showing up is the comfort we all need. The truth that despair and darkness will not get the last word. Because He is light shining in the darkness and darkness cannot overcome. He has come and He's coming again. Jesus is born in a, in a cattle stall to a virgin mother on a cold night in the middle of a despairing and desperate country. And this is God in the, in the form of Jesus singing a lullaby to His people to redeem, redeem them that they may know how to dance according to the music of His mission. Knowing that you never have to endure the judgment of failure, of being a failure, because He endured failure for you, will enable you to fail for God's glory. Your judgment becomes His judgment, and His righteousness becomes yours. God's Word, His judgment, His song of comfort in your life came down on Christmas, and that Word became flesh. The music of the world returned comfort you. And what do we do now? The time of Advent. We need to tune the instruments of our hearts. To the key that the gospel plays. That we hear in the song of Jesus. The song of God's lullaby singing sweetly to us as we cry and we mourn as we feel like we are forgotten as we despair feel like we are never going to be known Jesus knows and He's come for you Let's pray The mighty and gracious God Help us to know. Help us to know. That we may say back to ourselves the true truth. That in Jesus we are loved, we are noticed, we are cared for. In Jesus we have the true judgment our hearts most desperately need. In Jesus there is a song that music returns, that there is comfort for our despairing hearts. Help us, Lord, to sing that to ourselves, to tell that to our friends, to be present with our family members, knowing that the God of the universe whom we rebelled against You, you still love us, and you are still true to your word, and you have not broken your promises in Jesus. Jesus is the steadfast love of God.
eternal love. Lord, help us now to be, prepare our hearts to prepare the way for your coming. Christ's name.